my ex-girlfriend um, had a tattoo behind her ear. It was a Chinese symbol. Um, and I, I think I'm remembering this correctly, but it was a big deal. It was supposed to say worship, but they had a Chinese foreign exchange student come stay with them. And she was like, ooh, 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 can you read my, <laughs> can you read my tattoo? And he was like, yeah. She's like, what does it say? And he said, lunch. <laughs> She was like, no, 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 no. It says worship. It says worship. He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. I could see that. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Sorry. It, yeah. In our, in, our, in our province, it could also mean lunch or worship. We're men. Okay. That means a few things. Men sometimes have strange motives for the things they do. But we are still proud. For if a man loses pride in manhood, he is nothing. I'm a man. I'm sensitive. Confronted with their true selves, most men run away screaming. Isn't this a strange conversation for men who aren't crazy? You make me want to be a better man. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. I feel like I could do it better than that. Hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. What's going on, my guy? (laughs) Not a whole lot. Just going to do a podcast. You want to join me? Ah, uh, I mean, yes. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, shoot. I was not <laughs> oh, anticipating that yes. answer. <laughs> hey, everybody. Welcome to This is the Better Men Film Club. It's a podcast with me. I'm Nick Flora and my co-host, Dave Gregory. Hey. He just spoke earlier and he just spoke again. He's going to speak frequently. That's how this works. Max and- four more times. Three now. <laughs> Whoa. Um. So this is a short one. This is essentially a vine. Um, <laughs> if you're only going to speak four times. Um, but yeah, welcome in. Uh, today is a, a big day for us because this is the day that we're recording this where our podcast released into the world. Um, we recorded a bunch of these and, and kind of put them out there uh, today. And very exciting. It's been very fun to uh, watch this baby be birthed into the world. Um by two men. It really reminds me of, of the seminal Arnold Schwarzenegger Classic Jr. <laughs> I was really hoping you would go there. <laughs> That's my impression of Arnold Schwarzenegger giving birth. Um, it's been a, it's been a fun day. It's been uh, I feel like it, doing this podcast has brought us closer, and we were already pretty damn close. Um, too close, if you ask your wife. Uh, but we are we're already pretty damn close. And then just kidding, Kate's lovely. I I don't she's know why throwing her under the bus is so funny to me because she's she the opposite of I'm, all that stuff. Yeah, she's not hearing this now, but I guarantee you she'll listen later, and she, we'll get a giggle out of her for that. One. She's such a yeah. She's a damn sweetheart. Love her. Uh, hey, Kate. Um. And uh, yeah, it's just one of those days where you just don't want to wake up. It's just one of those days. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I went there with you. Um, Get to release a thing into the world. And I feel like I I feel like this bond is even tighter than it was now that it's out in the world. And, and, you know, getting messages from friends of mine who are like, holy crap, you and this Dave guy are the same. Like you're on the my friend Arthur texted me literally before we started recording was like, you guys are on the same frequency. This is fantastic. So, you know. It's, Man, it's I'm so nice. glad. I knew we were on the same frequency. I was a little concerned that that was a bad thing. <laughs> oh, it won't be for everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I wasn't that fine. concerned with it because I still enjoy listening to this. But as soon as like I added up all the time of those podcasts, it's, it runs around like three hours, a little bit more. And I, I texted everybody that I knew three hours later. And I was like, so what do you think of the first three episodes? <laughs> and I still haven't heard back. <laughs> 
kids what do you mean kids yeah. so yeah this is exciting for if you're listening to this for the first time um this is a podcast where we talk about movies and um ourselves like our journeys as as people going through this world with the messaging that we've received from pop culture specifically films and uh we we want to shine a light on on the good and the bad and and just you know kind of dissect and explore um what each movie that we love or maybe we don't like says about us as a culture and as people. And uh, that's our hope here is that we can look at the art that was created that we, that we take in so much of, and that we can also look at it and have an honest conversation with each other about what needs to change, what actually works really well, what actually could be brought out a little bit more, what needs to go away altogether, that kind of thing. No, it's a, it's a big day for the podcast too, Nick. This I feel like this is our Rex Manning day. You know what I mean? Say no more, <clears throat> more name more. No, I am excited. <laughs> there you go. No, I'm excited to finally talk. I think it was a wise move, but today we'll be talking about I love you, man. Um, and I think it's a good move because honestly, if we didn't hurry up and do that, we were just going to basically like cut this one episode up into like the intro of every podcast <laughs> over the next 20 that we just keep referencing it. I love you, man is such an important movie to me personally, but also in my journey of self betterment and uh, pursuing male friendships, which was the thing I've talked about in every episode now was honestly scary to me for a long time because to be, you know, to seek male friendships, you have to be vulnerable in front of other men, which we are not taught to do. Um, so, uh, this is an important movie. And for me personally, and I know finding out that you loved it too, was just a, that was a magical day. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> um, and, it, and I remember referencing it to you and, and our messages back and forth. And you're like, well, I'm watching that tonight. Or then you told me that I say, oh, you watched it or whatever. And I was like, okay, yeah, this friendship's going to be okay. We're going to be, <laughs> we're going to be yeah. good. I love that kind of stuff. Um, where you, I love to, I love talking up this stuff enough where you're like, okay, well now I just have to go watch it again. Like, like, after our Batman episode, I couldn't wait to, I'm like, I'm going to have to go back to the theater and rewatch this because it just got me amped up. You know what I love? You, man. You, man. Dang it. <laughs> I knew uh, it. I, knew I paused it. too long. It was one beat too many. <clears throat> well, we're going to, we are going to dissect this movie. If you've never seen it, um, please go watch it. it. It's, I think up until next week, maybe later this week, it, it was on Netflix. I saw that it's disappearing off Netflix, which oh, no way. makes, it's makes today, me sad. Yeah. yeah. It's there today. Um, but if, for those of you who don't know, um, we're, we're going to, well, first off, we're just going to talk about this movie. We're going to talk about the d- kind of take apart the themes of it. We're going to both go from the film side and the messaging th- thematic side and just kind of bounce back and forth and, and have a conversation about like, um, the things it makes us think of and, and all that kind of stuff. I'm, I don't know. I'm really bad at explaining things today. Um, <laughs> no, you're so, nailing it. You're nailing it. We were all following that. Don't talk about my friend like that, Nick. Wow. You really took me to school and yeah. I appreciate that. Thank <clears throat> you. V- very Sydney five of you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no problem. Yeah. Uh, I love you, bro. Cephas. Um, this love you, bro. Montana. This is, this is a movie. Okay, so let me set the scene for you, David Gregory. This movie Please. came out in 2009. It was filmed in 2008. Um, it it is a movie that came out right around the same time. I think a month or two before The Hangover in 2009. Yeah. Um, and The Hangover just blew everything out of the water. The Hangover was. I don't know if people really remember that movie. Two sequels were greenlit for that movie, the hangover before it even released. So studios were anticipating this to be a huge kind of like comedy rock star moment. And Zach Galifianakis specifically 
um, to be like the breakout star, um, mm-hmm. which is, is, is wild to, cause usually, I don't know, like, I feel like corporate heads of studios don't really understand what is going to be hit and what's not going to be a hit. Uh, you hear all these stories of, yeah, they're of, not always right. Well, you hear these stories of them bringing in creators and they're like, okay, we want a viral hit. And they're like, yeah, we all do. <laughs> like you can't mm-hmm. just go and create a viral hit. Um, but and, and not to take anything away from the hangover, because I, I do think that movie has a lot of merit and is, is, is important uh, for comedies, comedy movies, first off, um, because comedies movies just don't, make a lot of money in the theater uh, for whatever reason or, you know, haven't over the last, you know, 15 years, really um, they've struggled here and there. So it is important. Um, But I feel like the male friendship that was shown in that is a little bit more. um, It's a little meaner. It's a little meaner spirited. It's a little bit more negging, uh, a lot more negging. There's a lot more, you know, they, everybody kind of can't handle or stand the other person. Um, I feel like the only two people who are actually friends in it is Bradley Cooper's character and Justin Barthes character who disappears yeah. <laughs> like the first 20 minutes in it. So well, that's the thing. I don't want to like, and I don't want to be woke, bro. I love that movie. I like the hangover. It's a hilarious yeah, movie. It's funny. Um, it is like, it was the first of its kind in a whole lot of ways, but it doesn't like, yeah, it, it models friendship the way like Porky's models male yeah. friendship. It's like, Hey, don't y'all nothing that they did is okay and the only reason that we're laughing is because this is a movie because these would be felony charges in real life yeah, <laughs> like you know what i mean for sure where it's like this is fun but um but yeah a polar opposite when you think about i love you man and then like one of the first films where you go like oh this is like a like a blueprint this is like mockumentary style you know what i mean like they're talking about these issues yeah and and i feel like even now uh i love you man it's tone and just i mean if you really th- think about it it makes sense that it is it was less of a big deal at the time because i don't feel like people knew what to do with it i remember going to see it and walking out of the theater and there being a bunch of people around and somebody making the point well nothing happened in that movie and i was like thinking about it offended first off because i was like i yeah i loved front to back that movie and i was like oh i know what they mean though because if you're if you're comparing it to like the big tentpole summer blockbuster comedies that was the same year like land of the lost came out which was a huge flop um with will ferrell and dana mcbride Mm -hmm. it was this big like it was a big comedy bruno came out um you know which sasha barra cohen's reaction to or like the second movie after borat i mean this was like studio is really swinging for the fences and I love you, man. Just like, isn't bothered by any of that stuff. It, it feels like a movie that is just at its own pace. It's really lovely. It's an easy watch. Um, I mean, it has like moments of tension in it, but the movie, honestly, not that it, nothing happened in it, but there is no villain in it. I think hundred percent. I mean, that's what the I conflict at the end of that. Yeah, the conflict at the end of that second act is literally like, I think maybe you shouldn't come. Yeah, don't <laughs> like, come to my wedding. I mean, it's yeah. like, yeah, it's like, uh, which is a, it's a big deal, obviously. But yeah, it's, there's no car chase, you know. But the the entire conflict in the movie that really like sets up the third act is we need to understand what boundaries are and communicate better. Mm-hmm. And that's it. <laughs> and and I I find it so delightful because there's no and they and they play with it a little bit too. I really like that they play with um we'll get we'll get into the movie here yeah, a, little, yeah, a little bit later. But they play with the the notion of like, oh, maybe I shouldn't trust this character because somebody has to be the bad guy here. Is he gonna is is Sydney Fife, you know, Jason Siegel's character going to be a con artist? Like you just keep waiting. They play with yeah, that enough. And then I love that they're just like, no, they're they're just friends. 
They're just going to be, they're just guys who are trying to figure out how to love each other. Another movie that does that really well, and we can jump into it after this. I don't want to, we'll chase rabbit trails all day, but um, is About Time. I know that that's one of your yeah, faves too. And that's is. another one where I feel like you keep waiting for the other shoe to drop and it doesn't. You just go like, oh no, hey, like sometimes, like this one can just kind of feel like real life. Even though About Time is literally about time travel, you go like, you keep waiting for that huge, like the big end of the second act moment where it's like, and here's where everything goes to hell. And then it just kind of doesn't. And you're like, oh yeah, I guess we don't have to self-sabotage everything. <laughs> No. And there's sometimes there's there's enough going on internally. Yeah. That we don't need all that external drama and external, you know, sometimes movies feel like they have to throw everything in the kitchen sink in there and it's just like didn't need it. Like yeah. we we I think as people we're okay with just some internal struggle and you know, what would I do? Cause watching about time, especially I was like, what would I do in this situation? Yeah. I don't need all of the, like, everything's gone wrong. You know, mm-hmm. and it just takes away to the, the, takes away from like the sweetness and the point of the whole thing too. Um, you know, if they broke up Donald Gleason's character and Rachel McAdams characters, like, what are we doing? We just got them together. Yeah, Let's not yeah. even worry about that. You know? So, and with, I love him in the same way. Like there, there is a moment in the movie where Paul Rudd's character and, and Rashida Jones's character, um, they kind of have a moment where they're like, we need to take a step back here. Um, but it, they don't break up, you know, and, and it, and it resolves itself relatively quickly with good communication. And I was just like, yeah. this is incredible. I love that this is being shown on screen. Well, let's, I want to jump in all that second act stuff too. That's one of my favorite parts about that movie, but let's, let's, uh, begin at the beginning. Let's start at the beginning. So this movie is, it comes out in 2009. It's written, um, and directed by John Hamburg, who started off as a director, um, or sorry, sorry. Started off as a writer uh, for movies like Meet the Parents. He wrote on uh, Zoolander. <laughs> he wrote, uh, or no, I guess he was an actor in that movie Duplex. We just talked about all these Ben Stiller movies. Yeah. So if you thought that we weren't going to have an episode where we mentioned Ben Stiller, he came up naturally, guys. <laughs> he he is just he's the Matt Damon uh, for Jimmy Kimmel for us. He's just going to keep coming up. Um, John Hamburg also had a hand in writing Meet the Fockers. And then finally, he directed a few things early on in his career. But the first kind of big studio movie he did was uh, the rom-com in 2004, Along Came Polly, starring Jennifer Aniston and Ben Stiller. And my personal favorite, Philip Seymour Hoffman, uh, to date. <laughs> I'm so annoyed you just said that because I literally had that armed and ready to drop. Of course you would. Though, okay, you say it now. Say it now. You know, another thing that a lot of people forget about that. Tell movie, me, Dave. Nick. Tell me, Dave. I forgot no, everything I about it. it. I don't. Okay, want it's it. fine. <laughs> yeah, I know. I really am placating you at this point. But <laughs> along came Polly, a movie that um, I know. I understand why audiences and actors do what they do. Like, I, I get, I get that Ben Stiller, after especially like in '97. You know, he did something about Polly or something about Polly, something about Mary. And then, and then he just was like on this huge trajectory of like, let's put him in everything, especially after 2000, meet the parents. He just was doing like rom-com after rom-com after yeah. rom-com. He, he was the guy as you were, as you said earlier, who was in a movie and everything just went wrong and it just got more and more awkward yeah, and he's more yeah, and more yeah, misunderstood. Yeah. And that was like a formula mm-hmm. back then. And I think what also makes, I love you, man, refreshing. And even like, the Judd Apatow rom-coms of, you know, from a uh, 40 year old virgin on is that no, it, it doesn't have to keep getting worse and worse. And, and the actor or the main character doesn't have to keep stepping over his words. 
over and over again for for audiences to enjoy it. We kind of like yeah. cringed out. We got over cringe stuff pretty yeah. quickly. It's like this doesn't need not everything needs to be Tom and Jerry, which is what a lot of those movies felt like. Where it was just like, all right, I need an, uh, a break. Give him a shower and comb his hair yeah. and get the goop out of his face. me <laughs> But it's also interesting that he had such a hand in the Meet the Parents, Meet the Fockers, yeah. Along Came Polly, and then. And then he does I Love You Man, which doesn't have that formula. It's just, it really is just uh, like the the beauty of I Love You Man is that these characters are just a little quirky and yeah. and and we have a character who does who's pretty passive aggressive and doesn't really speak his mind and is trying to figure himself out with while while also and then we have this other character that he befriends who has no boundaries and just says whatever he wants and it's so refreshing. Mm-hmm. And the two of them together are learning from each other. Um and I, I think there's something really beautiful about that. Um, no, we're just going to let these two characters who are diametrically opposed, but have enough in common with you would believe they would be friends. Um, like the, we're going to just watch them be friends. And then what, whatever happens, happens. Yeah. I also genuinely love, I mean, when you look back, these are two of my favorite actors, like Jason Siegel and Paul Rudd, massive fan of both of these guys. And this was an important film for both of them, even though this wasn't like this huge marquee movie. I really still believe we haven't even begun to see like the second life it's going to have on streaming and stuff like that. I've been posting a lot about it lately, even just getting ready for this podcast. And I have a lot of guys uh especially that i know are into movies that are no that are into film that haven't seen it and they're like wow i just watched it oh my gosh like this was so great but like leading up to this point it's kind of interesting paul rudd's career is really interesting because like clueless was his first major acting yeah. role and then he kind of didn't have a major acting role again until i mean he he showed up in a lot of stuff he showed up in a lot of the Apatow verse stuff, yeah. kind of like Jason Siegel. Like they were these, like oh, like yeah, I kind of know who that guy is, or I recognize his face, but not until he. Uh, I think it might have even been the same year, if not, it was the year before. But I think Paul Rudd had role models in two thousand eight or seven, or might have been two thousand nine. Um, Jason Siegel didn't really have anything leading up to this. Had he already done um, uh, forgetting Sarah Marshall? Um, yeah, up to this point, that was two thousand eight. This was like the next okay. year. So this was the first movie that he did post Sarah Marshall where he was like in a leading role. Gotcha. He didn't so do Jason Siegel had one leading. Right. So he had had that one leading role deal. And then there was this one, Paul Rudd, honestly, like clueless for sure. Wasn't a leading role. Role models was kind of his first. So they're both coming off of their first leading role mm-hmm. into this movie where I guess you could say it's, it's Paul Rudd is probably first build, but like it's, it's very much both of them. It's but a co-bill for sure. A hundred percent, but it's super interesting to see that. And then to see how like, this movie, I mean, so now that being said, I know Jason Siegel, 2000, what, four or five was how I met your mother when that started. And so mm-hmm. we kind of only knew him also. We, we only knew Paul Rudd as the super dry, sarcastic friend, like in Knocked Up and movies like that. Role models, he plays that same role. Clueless, he kind of plays that role. Jason Siegel, we kind of only knew him as Marshall on How I Met Your Mother, which I'm a massive fan of him on that show. It was so good casting in general on that show was so good mm-hmm. but then for both of them to come in here and Mar- and Marshall Jason Siegel goes from Marshall to Sydney which is a complete character switch and then Paul Rudd goes from his kind of dry sarcastic sardonic character into kind of like a Marshall you know what I mean it was really interesting yeah, to really earnest switch. and both of them just it just like their role I assume that is both of them in their day to day life like they were playing exaggerated versions of themselves because they just yeah. nailed it 
Well, if you hear them talk about it, I watched a bunch of interviews on this press tour for I Love You, Man, leading up to this podcast. And they are, you know, they were asked about that because that's the normal question they get asked. How much do you like your your character in this movie? And they were like, we're the same person. Like we are, we are neither these characters where we meet somewhere kind of in the middle, both of us. And they're like, and they, Judd Apatow talks about how when he um, made Knocked Up, uh, he had to separate Paul Rudd and, and, and Jason Siegel multiple times because they, they were, they just buddied up immediately and became yeah. super close and still are. And this is the third or second out of three movies that they made together. Um, and it, it, it just really makes me happy. You know, it always makes me happy to hear that from like a movie f- comedy nerd standpoint where it's like, Oh, they were friends on film and they're friends in real yeah. life. And in this movie has a lot of, um, improv and I, and I'm, I'm a big fan of the whole model, the Adam McKay, Will Ferrell model, Judd Apatow of like, let's just do a, a fun run, but it, it can be done to the point where it's annoying. And I, yeah. I also like structure and written jokes. So I, I feel like if you do it just enough, which this movie feels like it really nails mm-hmm. that like, Oh, I bet that was improv. Or there's moments where like, you just see Paul Rudd crack up or about to, and you're like, Oh, that's real. That's you just you just know that's real. Um, I mean, he's a fantastic actor, but sometimes mm-hmm. you're like, I don't know if he can act that. Yeah. I feel, that felt like a Paul Rudd guy. You oh, know, 100%. moment. Yeah, the whole movie was just kind of him being his like charming self. Well, even in the moment, and we mentioned it on on another earlier episode, but like the moment where they're Jones Beach having fish tacos, their first real like bromance yeah. date. Um, it they just got a little bit tipsy and just let him go, and and I think that's fantastic. <laughs> and, and I'm like, what a what a beautiful way to like show a friendship, a burgeoning friendship. Um, I feel like any other movie, they would make Sydney a little bit of a douche um, and, or make him a con man. And and they would show, they would have moments in the first time that they went to dinner that kind of show it, but the, you know, it it gets a little devious. This one is just two dudes meeting on a level where they're just, stoked to have met each other and like they're they're just, they're just genuinely yeah. enjoying each other's friendship and there, there are written parts of that scene too where, where he's asking about like so how's the sex life you know in, in your in your relationship and stuff and he's like yeah. whoa you know easy there um but anyway go, going back to the like with paul rudd you're absolutely right and a thing that i i really respect about him which there are many things is that he doesn't take show business seriously and he does mm-hmm. what kind of whatever he wants. Because if you look at like he, he came out of the gate first, he did a couple of TV things. And then his first role was in clueless, which was a humongous movie. And then he just, he does some theater and then he comes and does like Romeo and Juliet in 96. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 With uh, Boz Lerman's uh, Romeo and Juliet, and then he and then he does some more theater, and then he plays does these indie films. I love even now he'll do these like weird indie films with like Emil Hirsch, mm-hmm. and he's he's just way out there. Um, and then you know he 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 pops up in like the most random places. Um, he was in a movie called The Object of My Affection with a uh, uh, Jennifer Aniston. Um, yeah. right at the height of friends. Uh, he popped up in the cider house rules mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, as I think Charlie Theron's betrothed at the beginning of that movie, a completely serious role in a very serious movie, which is, and then the next year he's in wet, hot American summer, which is one of my favorite Paul Rudd roles. And it's still funny to me that coming out of clueless, like he still hasn't done like a major bill. I think wet, hot American summer may be, the most screen time he gets out of all of those probably. movies you just listed. Probably. Almost, you know what I mean? Like, I think you're right. like, I mean, by Romeo and Juliet, it's like 30 seconds of like, Hey, we just needed a pretty dummy to stand here for a minute and be like, what Romeo who? 
Yeah, um, that movie, he definitely was in like a, a bunch of scenes with a bunch of people, you know? Right. There was never really a one-on-one with him and Claire Danes or something. Which, yeah. it's Baz Luhrmann. Like, I think most actors are like, whatever, yes, just put me in the background. But it's just interesting to see, because he's he has so much... Uh, there's such a gravity about him. Like there's so much, he, he's a charming guy and clueless. It really shocks me. He didn't get more of a shot after that. You're so right. And I think a lot of it just has to do with the fact that like Hollywood just didn't know what to do with the, cause he does have this kind of sensitivity about him, you know, like uh, he's a softer guy. He, yeah. he plays an asshole, but it's funny. It's not like, uh, you know, his assholeness in wet hot American summer is just over the top humorous. Totally. Um, and, you know, and he's a legitimately good, serious actor as well as we, as we've seen in the past few years. But it just seems like he just does whatever he wants. And I really, and same thing with Jason Siegel, and I really appreciate that because um, we didn't really see him for a while, and then he pops up in in Anchorman, where we really see mm-hmm. as, as Brian Fantana, where we, re, you know, he's going head to head with Will Ferrell and Steve Carell and and all these and uh, uh, and David Koechner, yeah. Um, and it, it's just incredible. He hold not only holds his own, like he stands out. Like he he's, we really see Paul Rudd at his silliest and most comedic. And it, that feels like the thing that just goes boom. Yeah. Like now Paul Rudd's a comedy guy and he's in 40 year old virgin. He's in, you know, he, he pops up in all these, you know, knocked up and, and walk hard for getting Sarah Marshall role models. I love you, man. And forward. And then I feel like it gets to remind us again later that, Oh, I, I do serious stuff too. Cause he starts yeah. doing all these Indies again. And uh, it, it really is phenomenal. His arc. It's still, it's really interesting to me. I think maybe because he came around, he came along at the end of the nineties, but I could totally see him if he'd gotten, if he'd been a little bit older or if he'd maybe gotten on the scene a little bit sooner, like he could have filled that like, super sensitive, soft-spoken Ethan Hawke character that was in all those early 90s movies. It feels like towards the end of the 90s, though, in terms of leading men in movies, that was not the way things were headed. It was all like Jackass was on the rise. It was like more of that, like headed into the early aughts. Um, You kind of got away from that sweet, quiet, sensitive leading male archetype that was more at the beginning of the 90s because it's interesting that like i look at his performance in clueless and maybe this is me projecting because i want him to be this guy if we ever when sorry when we become best friends um but um he uh i look at clueless i look at i love you man and i go like that seems like the most paul rudd those seem like the most Paul Rudd roles outside of that he plays a lot of really sarcastic kind of cool or idiot roles uh, a lot, but he, it, it, it's so it shocked me to look at his uh, IMDb and go like, oh, he actually doesn't play Peter Clavin that no, character very often or at all. He's kind of like the dead, even an Ant Man. He's like the deadbeat dad, the kind of like sc- yeah. screw up. The, and you just go like, that's so interesting that that's what he keeps getting cast as because I I totally see him more as the like sweet nerd guy but i don't think people realize how influential i love you man was on how we all see paul rudd or just on half of the things like do you know how many kids i know that say totes yeah. goats that have no Most idea came don't. from this movie you know i've shown this movie to people and they're like that's where that's from or like slap the bass man or like whatever yeah. they're like what you know he really <laughs> um i feel like he needed a little bit of dirt on him like we needed meaning like age and time and like I, I feel like to truly get the for him to be, you know, the Ant Man role where he could you could believe that he's a good meaning guy, but he just keeps getting into trouble and and he had to show it like mm. there's a 2006 indie film called Diggers, um, which is really interesting and he he plays kind of a 
similar-ish Scott Lang role in that. And then he's done it. He did a few more. Um, the one with Emile Hirsch that he did, uh, it's called All is Bright. Um, it's a Christmas movie about like con artists, essentially with him and Emile Hirsch. And he kind of shows that there too. Like I was like, we had to see him in a couple different lights. Um, Cause even with Jason Siegel, like I talked about it a little bit um, on an earlier episode, but I love his arc so much. Cause that dude started, you know, his first movie is a movie I actually watched the other night. Um, one of my favorites can hardly wait. Oh, he, has a, yeah. he, has a, he has maybe five or less lines in that. Um, and then, you know, he'd pop up in like dead man on campus or SLC punk. Loved him. Um, in SLC punk. And then, and then kind of, and then, but he, he had a pretty major role in Judd Apatow's and Paul Feig's uh, TV show, Freaks and Geeks. And, um, but the same thing with Paul Rudd, like, I feel like Hollywood just didn't know what to do with him. Mm-hmm. Like he was such a specific type that was going to be, now people feel like studios have Jason Siegel types and things. Yeah. They have Paul Rudd types and things, but um, he, he just if you hear him talk about it, he just was kind of floundering around and he was doing a, how I met your mother, but it wasn't creatively satisfying. And as I talked about in, I think the first or second episode with Jed Apatow, once freaks and geeks got canceled, he had the entire cast come over to his house and was like, listen, if you're going to work in this business and you're going to be successful, like you can't just sit around and wait for, yeah, people to give you jobs. Like you're going to have to learn how to make your own stuff, learn how to produce direct and write. And I will teach you how to do that. And it's incredible. Um, everybody from Seth Rogen to John Francis Daly, who played the main kid, Sam Weir on there, um, became a successful writer, uh, an actor, you know, Martin Starr, Jason Siegel, busy Phillips, mm-hmm. that, that show was stacked. And he, he taught them all kind of like come to like, they have these like base camps and it, it was just such a lovely gesture. And then when Jason Siegel kind of hit a creative rut, he came to Judd Apatow and was like, I don't know what to do. I I just feel like I'm not getting the roles that I want. And he's like, what do you want to do? And he's like, well, I want to be in a Muppet movie. And he was like, well, they're not making those right now. So why don't, why don't you just show us what you can do? And so he, he wrote the weirdest script that Judd said he's ever read. I think (laughs) if I remember correctly, which is forgetting Sarah Marshall, which, which ends with a fucking puppet musical. Yeah. Um, A great puppet musical, a great puppet musical. And so long story short, like he had to make that movie with and and write it with Judd. And it was, it was an arduous process, but like that movie is singular. That movie really stands out in the pantheon. Are you a fan of forgetting Sarah Marshall? I guess being being a single fan. Yeah. Yeah. So a huge Siegel fan. I think it's also, um, but I have this theory where it's like you can kind of tell if a show is going to be good in the first three or four episodes if you can see at least 60 percent of that cast uh, in in like major billing rom-com movie roles. And if you yeah. can't, if you're just like, no, nah, I don't really see that. It's probably not going to be a great show. And I feel like that always happens. Parks and Rec, The Office, How I Met Your Mother, Scrubs, those movies started. And I was like, yeah. This, this guy or this girl, they could totally carry an entire film. And he had that as Marshall. But I'm super grateful to that show because none of those movies, it, not even Judd's star power, would have gotten Jason Siegel in uh, in a top build role in Forgetting Sharon Marshall without all of America saying, hey, we like Marshall, so we will go see your crazy rated R comedy, yeah. you know? Um, and, and, and honestly, like forgetting Sarah Marshall had to have Kristen Bell, had yeah. to have Russell Brand, had to have Mila, Mila Kunis. Kunis had to have like Jonah Hill when he was starting mm-hmm. to pop around that time. And I think Bobby Lee pops up in there for a minute. Doesn't he? Yeah, I think you're right. And Paul Rudd pops up like it. And, and That's right. Jason Siegel in one of those interviews, um, 
mentioned, he was like, you know, Paul Rudd is this really busy guy. And he, he was so nice enough to come out and, and just hang out with us on set and do this really like pop up, but you know, in this very small supporting role as the surfing instructor, but in, and Paul Rudd turns around to him in that moment in a very like male vulnerable vulnerability Titan moment and says like, Oh dude, I was, what a blast it was. I read that script and I was like, please have me be a part of it. And he was like, really? And he was just like, yeah, yeah. he's like, dude, you wrote an incredible script. It's such a unique film. And, but that's the whole thing is Jason Siegel had along with Nick Stoller, the director, I think that's who directed that. And then also Judd Apatow have this clout to be like, Hey, we're going to do this movie. Who wants to be attached? And everybody was like, Oh, I love Jason Siegel. Let's go do this. And so sometimes it takes the support of other people who have, who are marquee names to come out and do a thing to show also now pay attention to this guy, which is what Judd does. And that's, I feel like once the creators or leaders lead with that, other people start picking up that, that mantle as well. And it was really beautiful. I also think a lot of the movies that he was involved in, like they're going to hold up. I personally, again, I, 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 I really like the hangover and I appreciate it for what it was. Um, I'm not, well, I won't, I'm not going to preface all this stuff, but I'll just say like, I don't, I think that movie will, will, it has solidifies its place in the zeitgeist. Um, just because it was kind of, it was not maybe the first of its kind of those movies, but it was definitely one of the biggest, like that movie was, huge, it was the loudest, the loudest for a rated R comedy to come out and do that. Well, was crazy. So it spawned all of these other ones. The thing is like forgetting Sarah Marshall is a hard R comedy, but that one will hold up more than the hangover will. My deal right now is like I go when when Kate and I rewatch movies during uh, COVID at the beginning at the height of the pandemic, we watched like um, National Lampoon's Van Wilder. And I was like, oh, my God, I just remember how good this movie was. Well, you rewatch it and you go, what you were remembering was this was your first experience with Ryan Reynolds. And this guy is going to be one of the biggest stars on the planet. And but the movie wasn't that great. The movie does not hold up. The movie is hard to laugh at in parts because it makes you really uncomfortable in a way that not just like the hangover made all of us uncomfortable when it came out. But after 2020, the 2020 was a long year. (laughs) 2020 was a long year where a lot of things changed. We grew in a lot of areas and we look back at certain things and go, oh, yeah, that makes me uncomfortable now. But there are there are still movies like Forgetting Sarah Marshall, like uh, Tropic Thunder, some of these movies where you go like, hey, that one makes me uncomfortable, but it was still done really well. This is still a great movie and it will hold up, even though it did some things that wouldn't get done nowadays. Um, it got them done in a really like I can rewatch Forgetting Sarah Marshall with Kate and we're both laughing the entire time. We rewatched yeah. The Hangover. And if I'm honest, like I, we're laughing a lot of the time, but a lot of the time it's like, oh. Oh man, I forgot Cringy. about that part. Like, you know, like I didn't know. I know. I forgot I you know. could say that. Um, and and that that feels like and that that's Todd Phillips in general. Like yeah. I really appreciate Todd Phillips. Um, a, a majority of what he does, I really old school was was one of my favorite comedies Incredible. when I was that age that came out, and I still think holds up. But it walks the line um, really well. Yeah, he definitely like leans on the shock comedy a little bit too hard in the Hangover, and that in shock comedy doesn't age well. But also like. I'm here to say, if anything, in this episode, like especially when we talk about you know sit- or sitcoms, rom coms, anything, comedy is not supposed to be evergreen. Comedy is supposed to comment on what's going on in the moment, and if it if it holds up, like the comedy of it holds up over the longest amount of time, you know, I'm not going to discredit that comedy, but like it, 
that's very rare if that happens. And so watching the hangover or any kind of art, like I'm completely fine with watching something with 20, you know, that came out 20 years ago with, with 2022 eyes and being like, that's not okay. Um, because it just shows how much we've grown as a culture and a society and also, but I don't need to, that's the whole thing. And I don't want to get into cancel culture and everything because we probably will at some point, but like there, it just doesn't, I don't know. It, it bothers me when people try to cancel things from 20 years ago. We could also just be like, yeah, at the time we watched that and we all thought that was okay. We don't anymore. That's fine. Like let, let it be a timestamp of, of the time without, you know, like don't, you can't go back yeah. and rewrite history. Um, just, but you can learn stuff from that and move forward with that lesson is I guess what I'm trying to say. A hundred percent. Add the lessons we've learned to the narrative moving forward and we're good to go. Yeah. But you don't need to like rewrite the whole thing. A hundred percent. And I, yeah. And I hope it didn't come across that way with the hangover. I, again, I love that movie, but I do think it's really special to look at the projects Jason Siegel has done and go like, Hey, this is something. And, and Paul Rudd as well. I've really, I guess a lot of it is Judd Apatow, but to go like, Hey, this person is doing something that is not even, um, not only is it not necessary, but until they started doing it, I wasn't sure it was possible mm -hmm. to make films that are this evergreen, that hold up this well, and that do it sometimes with a hard R yeah. on these comedies. It's like, that's, it is really, really impressive to navigate some of these topics and do it that well. But anyway. Yeah. And there's a lot of moments in I Love You, Man that are, that are cringy or, you know, they're dick jokes or masturbation jokes or, you know, the kind of Apatowian humor yeah. that's thrown in there because it gets giggles out of dudes you know, and, and girls too, but like, I feel like that's the whole, like, <laughs> he said balls, you know, kind of like, yeah. you know, the, the low hanging fruit, if you will, of, of the comedy tree. And I, I giggle at that stuff too, but that's not my favorite stuff. That's not the stuff that you remember um, mm. from these movies. And it's interesting talking about Van Wilder because a movie that also is kind of in that pantheon with Ryan Reynolds of the like, man, that really didn't hold up um, is, do you remember the movie waiting? Oh Yeah. <laughs> And, and you know oh, Justin Long's oh, yeah. in it. Like that—that's one of those movies too, where Ryan Reynolds wishes I didn't remember waiting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you're right. But that's the whole thing. Like we need—we need to let people have the arcs they're going to have. You can't yeah. not make something because it might be problematic later, and you just don't know. You know, I mean, historically, men have been making the majority of of you know things in culture, especially Hollywood, and they were making things without running it past women or other minorities to ask if this is offensive or it's okay. They're just like, eh, it's fine. It's, it's sort of the like ask for forgiveness yeah. instead of permission model. And they, they, they definitely could have done more of that. But uh, overall, like I love you, man is a movie that you, I feel like you can watch with yeah. di all different types of people. And, and, and it has something for everybody, but it's also like, it's in the ways that it, I wouldn't say problematic, but just is sophomoric. It's that it is sophomoric for a reason. And that's one thing I wrote down yes. before this podcast is really good. I really like, and we can get into it now. And then I want to talk about our post. I love you, man. If you want to think about it, um, post, I love you, man, favorite Siegel and Rudd roles. Um, Oh, okay. And we'll end on that. But like to get into, I love you, man. Now, like one of the things I wrote down is that this movie does such a fantastic job about showing every type of 
male friendship um and and even female friendship i was like oh man everybody is kind of you know there's there's the friend of of rashida jones's character zoe she has these two friends she owns a business with and one of them is is a perpetually selfish single girl and who's a total like proxy for a Kristen wig character it's like they couldn't get Kristen wig so they they made this (laughs) this this actress do it she's fantastic the Haley act the Haley character yeah the Haley character and then and then jamie presley's character is this like kind of mean but super hot like wife and to john favreau's character and they kind of hate each other and you're like they maybe they shouldn't be together but then you're also like they're kind of perfect for each other like they showcase that really well and oh also just to back up for a second the plot is basically a guy who gets engaged at the beginning of the movie realizes while making the wedding party that he doesn't have any close male friends and she has his his fiance has a lot of female friends and the wedding party is going to be a little uneven and so he sets out with the help of his dad and mom and brother played by andy samberg fantastically um great uh, okay how do you make friends as an adult how do you make male friends as an adult and as as he says in the movie paul rudd's character of peter like it's such a weird concept and that's the hook and that's what got me because i i I couldn't have been more on board with it well what's crazy is literally 2009 this movie comes out um and it says, hey, it's kind of weird for guys to make friends, huh? And everyone's like, you know what? I think it is. Like, we yeah. go like, hey, thousands of years of being alive. And we really haven't had that conversation. We've had, there's a lot of movies that have talked about different types, different archetypes of male friendships and things yeah. like that. But one that just came out and went like, hey, this is happening right now. There are a lot of guys in their mid-30s that have everything except for relationships with other men. Mm-hmm. And, and also... From a from a comedy standpoint, we'd seen like the Judd Apatow stuff for a few years. So everything from Knocked Up to Forty um, Year Old Virgin to Super Bad was all like <clears throat> the man child syndrome. And this is a case where there are, our main two characters are not man child uh, archetypes. Really, they are both successful men and men in their business. Yep. They're both like they both have the relationship that they want. They don't like Peter. Paul Rudd's character is a girlfriend guy. He's a serial monogamist and he is a really good boyfriend. It's, it's mentioned multiple times. And I also love how supportive his fiance Zoe played by Rashida Jones is she's constantly standing up for him. She's constantly like, even with her friends who are kind of not shit talking, but just kind of like, Hey, have you asked these questions because they haven't been dating very long? She's like, no, he's not like that. He's a great guy. And when like, there's moments where he shows up and helps or brings out, you know, the, the root beer floats or whatever, which we'll talk about in a minute. Pirouettes. <laughs> it just, you see her beam. She, and even the, at like dinner table yeah. scenes, she looks at him with this, like, God, I love it so much. It honestly is goals. It's fantastic. It really and is. Dude, I'm not gonna, I'm not even kidding. Like it makes me think of you and your wife, Kate. Like it, I've oh, seen, shit. I'm not kidding. Like I've seen her look at you when you're just talking about your stuff and she's genuinely, I, I was with you guys this last weekend. It's it makes me so happy to watch her when she's like, yes, he is a hopeless little nerd, but he's my hopeless (laughs) little nerd. No, I mean, I'm not not even being self-deprecating like that is genuinely it. And that's part of why I'm glad you said that, because you you hate to be that guy that goes like, I can totally see myself in this main character, man. But I I think a lot of men were saying that when this came out, where it was like this movie. And this is another thing it does really well. Uh is that like it makes the point that hey not everybody is the sports playing poker night beer chugging guy and those there's nothing wrong with those guys no. and those guys aren't the type of guys we need to fix but there are some guys that 
either can't operate within that or can to an extent, but it's not their wheelhouse. And they have an even harder time finding friends because th- that is where do guys go to make friends? It's like Buffalo Wild Wings and Hooters and sports events. And like, and you go like, what about like that guy who kind of played some bass in college and mm-hmm. has really been focusing on his relationship and his career? Like how, what, what do they do now? Let's not talk about like how they got here and how to avoid getting there. Cause it's not even a problem to avoid. It's just like a, Hey, now that you're here, what's the weird, awkward, you know, process of going through finding male friendships. And I a hundred percent found myself in that where I was, I was probably a little bit more kind of one foot in each camp. I had male friends growing up, but they were very seasonal. Mm-hmm. And so for me, just to see a movie where it went like, I mean, the thesis of the movie, I don't think this is jumping ahead, but it's essentially saying like, Hey, you just kind of have to do it. Like, I think Andy Samberg's character says mm-hmm. it at some point, right? You even quoted that to me when you sent me that Marco Polo yep. like a year ago being like, hey, dude, would you like to be more intentional friends? Uh, what does Andy Samberg say when he's talking to him? You, you'll you probably remember the line better than me. He's like, you have to be aggressive about it. Like, get out there and like, if you see, like, set up a mandate. If you see a cool looking dude, strike up a conversation and ask him on a mandate, which is in his mind is is after work drinks or, or lunches, yeah. like no, no dinner or movies. And I, I disagree with that. I love a good, I love going to the movies. Dude, you and I could go to movies and then go to like a four hour dinner and talk about the movie. So 100%. But, but, my but, wife would love that. She'd be like, please <laughs> rescue me from this three hour movie. She's I'm going to stand up for Kate and say, I think all of the reasons that you're like, Oh, she put up, puts up with me. She loves you for it. And that's what, that is why I'm like, she put ups with you and (laughs) not mean she put ups. Yeah. Not me. I do not mean, (laughs) but she, she is like, this is the Kate podcast now, but like, but I, I, I've really, I, I, I really love you guys and like getting to spend interpersonal time with you actually going out, you know, places with you guys. Like I, I stayed with you guys over the, over the weekend last weekend and like getting to do that was, it was really special because I really get to see different dimensions of your, of you and your relationship. And, um, what it, I just it, had an it's epiphany. Really cool. Yeah. I hate interrupting you, even though I, I'm really good at it. I have a, I, I want to pitch something to Judd who, by the way, I don't know if you knew this, Nick is actually our fifth subscriber. Oh my gosh. It was, it was, Bo- it was, yeah, it was Bobby Lee. And then I can't remember who was next. And then Judd Our Apatow. Bats. Oh yeah, Arbats and Jedi or not uh sorry, then um John Lovitz. <laughs> anyway, is it, we've is got it, a celebrity Burbonum's in there somewhere. Oh, Burbonum. I don't know if Burbonum subscribes. I know that he Oh yeah, he's a casual listener. It, yeah, yeah, he yeah, listens, yeah. He's super casual with his listenership. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, busy. he's busy. He's <laughs> busy. Anyway, I've got a I've got a pitch for Jed Apatow, a sequel, a spiritual sequel to I Love You Man, kind of like he made a spiritual sequel to uh, Knocked Up with This yeah. Is 40. Mm-hmm. Is I love you guys and it's about a friendship thruple because hey, I'm just saying that's a new thing now. A lot of people are are staying single or becoming mm-hmm. single later on in life and about a couple meeting a friend who's going like, hey, I want to be friends with both of y'all. And the couple's trying to figure out how do we get to know this friend? And the friend is figuring out how do I like, okay, like a couple like becoming friends. And it's called I Love You Guys. And I could be in it <laughs> if you I want, don't. Judd. <laughs> oh, wait, we're still talking to Judd. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry. He he stopped listening after you did your impression of him the other day. <laughs> 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 Sorry, buddy. Oh, good call. I don't want to break... I don't want to, I don't want to like throw reality into this plan. It's already been made and it was called you, me and Dupree. (laughs) (laughs) 
no, 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 no. You, me, and Dupree was the bad. Like that's the same because like Dupree is a mess in that one. Yeah, that's if, true. Like the, the I love you, man version of you, me, and Dupree. Jason Segel would have been like like there's a million of that movie. Like the friend that mm. comes and crashes. No, 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 no. This is one where everyone has their stuff together. The end of the second act that that never really like turns into a dumpster fire. Okay, you yeah. know what I mean? It just it's it's yeah I understand. It's also, in, if you have yeah, notes you to give me, way. give me the notes after I'm like <laughs> when we're when Judd's not listening, man. Sorry, you sorry, sorry, I mean? sorry, Judd. Like, uh, do you want to be in a Judd Apatow movie or not, I'd, Nick? I'd, I'd like to strike this from the record. <laughs> well, um, it's too late. Oh, it's not wow. like we have control over what makes it into the podcast. It's a fantastic idea, but th- that's also like th- speaking to the Andy Samberg character. Like in any other movie, he would be leading the Paul Rudd character astray over and over again. And then finally the Paul Rudd character would have to stand up to him and listen to himself or do it his own way. But Andy Samberg is his brother. And I love that dynamic. And I want to talk about it because, because they are not, they are brothers. They're eight years apart. Um, Andy Samberg, it's announced at dinner one night that he's best friends with his dad (laughs) and Paul Rudd is best friends with his mom. Um, And Hank Hank Mardukas. Also, J.K. Simmons, like what? What the crap? Out of nowhere, um, and Jane Curtin, like a fantastic uh, pairing uh, as his parents. But I, I love the Andy Samberg um, and Paul Rudd pairing as brothers because there's also a moment where Paul, like Andy, they genuinely love each other. They just don't know each other very well. It would be like you and your oldest sister as adults being like, "Okay, now how do we navigate this?" So not only that is, but even we see it by the end of the movie, he asks. Andy Samberg to be his best man in lieu of Jason Siegel not being there. So we think, and it's just a beautiful moment where like he, he's been wanting a friendship with him his whole life. He's yeah. probably idolized the Paul Rudd character. And even in the moment where he's like setting himself up, like he, he talks to Joe Latruglio's character, which is one of my favorite. Um, so many funny people in this freaking movie, dude. Everything Joe- you got. Everything you got. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to edit that out because yeah, I guarantee no. you that hurt everyone's ears. You backed up enough. It's really good. But Joe Latruglio is a guy that works in his gym with Andy Samberg as a trainer and he like sets him up and he has this squeaky voice. And, but even him saying like, I don't know, man, he's a cool guy. And he's like, Oh yeah. What's he like? And then he's like, I, I don't know. I actually don't really know him very well, but like yeah. go, give him a chance. Like I really like that moment. Like, cause he's like, you know what? I, I, I know he's a good guy. I just don't know him super well, but he needs friends. And I, I, you know, and, you know, he, he knows that Joe Latruglio is, is kind of a quirky dude, but he doesn't know what he doesn't know his brother. So he's just trying everything he can. Yeah. Um, also, fun little note. Um, Joe Latruglio did that character originally um, and they and it made it on on film uh, with all Elmo voice, just high pitch voice the whole time. And then <laughs> they had to go back and ADR it in wow. the studio afterwards and just because it was just too much it was too fantastical and silly. that makes sense because paul rudd even says like when you set me up with elmo over here yep at one point and so like that makes total sense and and so he just he went back in and just did like where his like voice would crack um which was so much better, so much I love better. here we go galaxy here we go <laughs> it's fantastic it, like joe latrulio is one of my favorite uh comedic actors who pops up from time to time you a lot of people know him from brooklyn 99 um but he was in the state red hot red hot american summer like he's just just such a funny dude to your point too about the friendship between the brothers in this and this is just like this happens over and over and over again in this movie is basically like they just do such a good job of showing you real versions of all of these character archetypes yeah so i like this in general when you look back on this and just in terms of like 
this is such a loaded word, but just in terms of like representation, sure. you go like, hey, look, the the typical poker bro, he's here and he's kind of an a-hole because we all kind of know that guy and he knows he's kind of an a-hole. He's proud of it, but there's nothing wrong with him. That's who he is. And him and his wife, you go like, should they be together? And then you see moments where you're like, oh yeah, you guys have, y'all have your things, but this is like, you're actually pretty good together. They you both know? actually uh, might kind of be into how much they hate each other. Like that might be a hundred percent part of it. A hundred percent. And there's other things like, I mean, like codependency shows itself is, is way harder to identify in a relationship yeah. like that. That couple like is loud and they fight, but they love each other and they're good. Like they choose each other, you know? Um, but like Andy Samberg, like you didn't see a lot of not hyper flamboyant gay characters portrayed yeah. on TV like that. And he just shows up. He's like, yeah, dude, I'm totally gay. He anyway, plays and himself. Then he's just Andy Samberg. Yeah, literally. He plays a cooler All version of Andy Samberg. <laughs> literally. Same with J.K. Simmons. Like, you have a lot of the neglectful father role that, like, J.K. Simmons would be the perfect archetype for that. But he's not like that here. He just goes like, hey, dude, honestly, we love you, but you've kind of always been into your girlfriends, Paul, and we've been okay with that. But, but I could also see how J.K. Simmons, as a younger dad, was probably a little bit rougher with them, probably a little bit you know, you could see how he was probably, he's probably grown a lot. Even the way he describes, um, you know, becoming an honorary gay is what Andy Samberg calls him. Like he, he, he took in Paula Rudd's characters is like surprised by that. It, you, you sense that like, he was probably a little bit too harsh growing up and Jane Curtin was l- over loving. And so Paul Rudd's character, just see, I almost to took it though as, like because jk simmons says like yeah your brother's my best friend and i talk to hank mardukas every week three or three times a week for 30 years i go like that actually sounds like a pretty well emotionally balanced dad paul i think is the guy that's who, true kind of like you and i growing up felt uncomfortable around certain types of masculinity and so we just withdrew and had a lot of female friends or hung out with our sisters or mm-hmm. our friends moms and you go like it was it was Right. Your friends, and so it was interesting to see the uh, what this movie did that I thought was smart, and it's a really subtle detail. But they go, "Hey, this guy has no friends, and it's his fault, and it's okay. He is just kind of withdrawn and put his energy into his career or his relationships. But it's not his evil dad. It's not his crappy brother. It's not masculinity that's the problem. Those guys are all friends with each other. It's it's just his fault, you know." I love you so much. <laughs> read with that. Se- you can't read my handwriting on, the, on, the, on this. I wrote down. Peter is the cause of his own problems. Like, look at that. Ah, oh, look at him. He's look at him. A, he's having a super time. Um, that is so true. I love it. I love that we have a protagonist who he, he didn't do anything wrong. Right. Like he's not a bad person or, or even like a good person who's gone astray, who makes the wrong choices. He makes the choices he makes. And this is such a, a beautiful distinction. He makes the choices he makes um, by being a very present and albeit probably a little bit codependent boyfriend. He's such mm-hmm. a good boyfriend, a very present and giving boyfriend. Um, but he, by doing that forsakes every other relationship in his life based out of, who knows what maybe fear it's never really explored. Um, but, but you, but I love that they leave it open because so we can have this type of discussion because I absolutely was that guy too. I was like, well, no, it's the whole thing of like, when you have kids, if you make excuses to get out of social engagements, because you could always say I have kids stuff, nobody's going to fault you for saying, stop being such a good present dad or mom come out with us tonight, but you can, 
dig yourself into a rut where you for, forsake every other relationship and become lonely and depressed. And you're like, I don't have any friends. Yeah. Because they kept inviting you out, but you kept saying no, but you had a good reason to. So even maybe internally, you didn't even know you were doing that. Like that is a, a common problem that parents find themselves in all the time or people do it with their jobs. Like things that are labeled in our society as like, Oh, we love that he's doing that thing. He's like really going for yeah. it. He's volunteering so much or he works so much. Like he's really like dedicated to his craft, but at what cost, you know, and mm-hmm. nobody's really going to fault you at that. But at the same time, especially with parents. And I think this is why we find ourselves a generation who's 30, 35, 40, and we don't have any true adult friendships. Um, because we have thrown ourselves into our kids' lives or, you know, we're the helicopter parent generation or our jobs where we're, we're obsessed with our careers and we just kind of, or marriages. And we just kind of like the friendships that are so valuable and bring us so much joy and help us um, in so many innumerable ways. Like we we let fall by the wayside. And that's where I love, that's where this picks up is like, we don't actually know his life. They don't show us flashbacks and they don't need to, we know we get it. We get it from the jump. Yeah. And to an extent, it almost feels like, I mean, obviously it's presented like a problem, but like the reality of it is you go like, hey, nothing here is really wrong. There's not even really a problem. This is just kind of where we are. You just don't have any close guy friends and you're a great guy and you're an awesome son and a pretty decent brother and a great boyfriend slash fiance. But you just, this is where you have found yourself now. And it's going to be kind of funny digging yourself out of this thing. Mm -hmm. And it's like, just that, just even that for someone to go like, oh, hey, it's not even necessary. I guess it's like, I, not that it's not your fault, but you're like, there's nothing wrong with the fact that I don't have friends, but I don't, and I got to figure it out now. You know? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh shit. I dug my own hole and now I got to figure it out. And you see yeah. it because his friends at the beginning are Gil, Gilliam, and like Az- Gilliam. Aziz and Nick Kroll's character. Which, Great bout, man. man. <laughs> Great bout. You see that he sees these guys all the time outside of work at the fencing club which is hilarious that that's even in this movie. Um, I love that that made it all the way to the movie. Like that feels like a thing you would write in, in the script and people would be like, no, 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 yeah, let, yeah, let's yeah. make it something else. <laughs> Fencing club. Um, but, but, you see, and then the three characters that he hangs out with at, at fencing club um, are like, we're going to go to a bachelorette party, at Joshua tree for Aziz's character. Um, and he's like, oh, okay. And he was like, you just, sorry, man, I would have invited you, but you just never really, seem to go out with us when we go out there you go boom like he's had ample opportunity to have real male friendships although you know once you see the little sort of locker room bullshit that those guys have probably wouldn't have been a good fit for him but he he does he definitely like has opportunity he just doesn't pounce on them and i think we all have that we all have opportunity i mean you and i are perfect examples of it um if, if it wasn't for like somebody doing to me what i and ultimately did to you which is saying like hey you want to make it weird for a second? I really think you're cool and I really want you to like me. I think we'd be good in t- friendship. Do you want to try this intentional friendship thing and get to know yeah. each other? And here's the thing. It might not work out. We might get a month into this thing and be like, we don't really have anything to say, no, but the the risk there, the payoff is like brotherhood. You know what I mean? And I've had it go both ways. I've reached out to people and in the same way that I reached out to you and it just kind of petered out and, and it was, it made me sad, but then I at least knew, and I, and I didn't, I never regret taking the shot, but that is an extremely vulnerable thing. Like that's why Andy Samberg really being is. like, dude, you just gotta be aggressive about it. And, mm-hmm. and you see time and time again, they show us, you know, the jump cut of him trying to make all these friends and, and meeting up with the guy who is way older than his picture and 
and then Thomas Lennon's character who who thinks he's on a date. You know, it, it's just it that would yeah. make just one of those would make any other kind of generalized normal quote unquote man quit. Be like, well, I tried. It's just you. It's just useless. Well, you know, they, they also do a really good job of showing the fact that like it's you get effort on both ends. And I think I, I probably I do this a lot where I'm making a point and then I cut myself off. But earlier, the point I was making, too, of like how they show like real versions of all of these archetypes is that I love that like Peter is not even when it does get into their friendship, like the between Peter and Sydney, like they're neither of them are perfect. Peter is painfully awkward. And Sydney is not like the like the wise yoda friend who has manhood figured out like he's kind of a a mess kind of like his life is together he's making good money his problem is his friends all grew up and got married and he decided he would didn't want a serious relationship like that he didn't want those which is fine but it seems like which is fine he's kind of scared of it in a way maybe but like at the same time like he's a well fairly well adjusted guy he has his moments though like uh the engagement party where he makes his really awkward speech that he feels terrible about for the rest of the movie or like he doesn't pick up after his dog on the venice boardwalk like he has these little traits where you're like there are flaws in this guy yeah. he's not a perfect guy not enough to call him problematic but enough to be like mm-hmm. yeah he's kind of he's a mess as much of a mess as any guy is and so is peter but you see that on both of their ends where you go like you know, Sydney with the whole like the billboards thing and the way he goes about trying to help with the t- the the toast he makes at the engagement party. Um, Peter with not wanting to really have tough conversations with his fiance or just having a hard time being himself. He's being too performative in front of Sydney. You see them both go like, hey, we're both kind of bad at this in certain ways. But right after that first night, they hang out uh, the fish tacos. Uh, and that great scene where <laughs> the wait, are you talking about hybrid cars? <laughs> I thought you were talking about hybrid animals. <laughs> I'm totally on board with cars. Yeah. But um, he says, like, oh, wait, I never asked you, man. Did you want to talk about real estate? Were you looking for a house? He's like, no, nah, man, you just seem like a cool guy. I figured we should get a beer. And you see both of them go that kind of awkward, like, yeah, we both kind of need this. And we're both kind of trying. And that you see that really sincerely awkward effort on both of that part, both of their parts. And that sincerely awkward effort for um, the John Favreau character may look different, but it's just as necessary for him to pull his group of dudes together. Yes. Uh, and like maintain that. And I just love that you go like, yeah, they're both kind of bad at this but really good for each other and it's like yeah. man, it's it's so to the t where you just go like like you said numerous times you keep waiting like oh sydney's gonna be a con man no because this movie is so mm-hmm. real this movie is so like even the parts where you would go well th- that wouldn't happen no one's gonna projectile vomit in someone's face it's a heightened version of it but kind of but also man crazy stuff happens when you're meeting people or when you're going yep. on dates and when stuff. you and put so yourself like, out there you have to be ready for some wild shit going down well what's the quote like it's dangerous business walking out your front door like that is the thing when you put yourself out there you have to be ready for kind of anything and i and i think it's also like watching the movie with the captions on i noticed a lot because there, there's that poker scene um with john Favreau's yes. character when they're all around the table and and you can you notice certain things but the, what i noticed was in the cat when watching with the captions on is that when he's being a dick to paul rudd the other guys are like he's fine dude he's just messing with you like they're, they're under like to his breath yeah. under his breath he's like he's like he's not really mad like there and i was like oh i see what this is but also like that's not my my favorite room to be in that's the room that like made me scared to be in a room full of dudes because it's all so aggressive and everybody's a little bit drunk and 
it's in the whole thing where you have to be, you have to feel like you have to be the lawyer or like the advocate for your drunk friend because he's being such a dick. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. He's not normally a dude. He's dude. He's just drunk. Like you're, you're reassuring new people. Like you're, you're trying to like play like conflict avoidance, like, you know, guy in the room. Yeah. I was like, don't, I, I hate that stuff. I hate this. It, Man, it, it really like put, makes me put my hackles up. I cringed and laughed so hard. I forgot about that scene. But when they go to the Chinese restaurant for the engagement party and he's just trying to leave, trying to leave, trying to leave. He's like, what you said is going to be stopped by. She's like, I never said flyby. It's an engagement dinner, you know. But then like right after the initial, they're like, well, hey, thanks for being here. And he goes, well, I promised Denise we'd be gone by, <laughs> by the time appetizers were over. And she's like, shut up. You're like, yeah. dude, this guy does not yeah. care he is that guy and i have those friends yeah. i know those guys where i'm like no that's who he is and i love him you really got to get to know him i know to know kind of like but the soft here's the thing center. that guy probably needs real male friendship like more Absolutely. than anybody in the movie and i love that like john or um paul rudd's character just keeps he, he keeps having to be in the room with him and he never shies away he still he always kind of approaches him and is like hey man so you play music and he's just like no you know it just shuts him down but he still keeps coming at him and, and i really do appreciate that and it might just be writing and they just it's a funny dynamic to have them two together and so um but one thing i wanted to say about the john favreau character that i read john favreau uh committed to this movie he's an actor in it he committed to this movie um, before Iron Man came out. Um, Iron Man came out like the week that this movie was filming. And he was like overwhelmed with the marvelness of it all. And the like pr- yeah, yeah, the yeah. press, he's the director of Iron Man. And he's like, wanted to back out. And he was like, I have to back out of this movie because I can't film for two weeks, you know? And um, he was about to call the director and be like, this is just too much for me. Like I overcommitted. I have to, I have to take a break. And Robert Downey Jr. Called him and said, he, he read the script and was like, you have to do this movie. And he was like, why? And he was like, you need to like, he said, he said the chop wood carry water. He was like, you, you need something that's going to be a good distraction. That's going to make you, you just made this thing and it's bigger than you yeah. and it's taken off. Cause I, nobody expected Iron Man to be what it, like you said earlier right. in the earlier episode, nobody asked for that. Um, and it, and John Favreau now talks about how whenever he's in the middle of promoting a huge Marvel type movie, he will go and make a smaller movie to offset that because it helps him kind of process that makes things. so much sense. Like, so he did the movie chef. Um, I was about to say, that's how we got chef, yeah. isn't it? Um, and, 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 but it, it was Robert Downey Jr. That was like, dude, 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 this is something special. Stay a part of it. Trust me. You'll be happy. You did it because you know how it is when you have something out, something going on and it's just, it feels way bigger. You, you'll just stay at home and like wring your hands, just pace back and forth. You just need to do something. Um, and, and a lot of times you need to do an activity so you can process things in, in the back of your mind. And I think too often we kind of let our anxiety run away with it. Um, when sometimes it, it is smart to, you hear about authors and when they put out books or actors when they put out movies, like the movie, the, the weekend of movie releases, they go on vacation and they turn off their phone. Yeah. yeah Cause yeah, they're yeah, just yeah, like, yeah. I just need to do something so this can process in the background. And I, I just love that RDJ, man, he was just like, Freaking this is special. RDJ, this is man. special. He, Look at that. He, he's a I love you man fan before I was he even, is a superhero. He really is, you guys. Um <laughs> they don't all wear capes. Iron Man literally didn't wear a cape. He literally didn't. <laughs> this time it's true. Um something that I, I, I wrote down that I, I I really feel is special about this movie is that they show, like I said earlier, 
every male archetype, but they also show that like, and, and there isn't good and bad. It's that it's for you or it's not for you. You know what I mean? Like, right. like the Aziz and Nick Kroll character and Gilliam, they all like, they all probably get along Gilliam. Yeah. They, Gilliam. they probably get along just fine. And then the same thing with like John Favreau and his buddies, they all seem to understand each other. They probably went to college together. Yeah. Th- there is that group. And even as he's driving around in the, the, you know, that, that sort of establishing shot of like him and his brain, like looking at all the dudes hanging out together, they're not villainized ever. They're just like, no, they, these people found their, their people. And you just see him be like, I really need to find my people, you know? And, yeah. and I, even his dad, his dad his is dad. literally like, yeah, your brother and Hank Mardukas and not you. And they're just, he's just like, okay, and honest, well, I mean, that's, I just have to go find my guy. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I love that he does that in, and at the moment that you're like Sydney, Jason Siegel's character is like, maybe he's a, you know, a con artist. What's going on with him? He doesn't seem to have any male friends. We meet his friends and he's had, and he's they go on that hike and um, they talk about all these times that they've had with him and they're all really good dudes. They all kind of remind yeah. me of Peter, honestly. And you see that like that he's had really strong, male friendships that lasted a long time. They just grew apart because they have kids or they're teachers and they have jobs that demand a lot of them. And you could see Jason Siegel kind of being like, Oh man, like, you know, you're watching the wonder Emporium again, like <laughs> uh, Mr. Yeah. Mr. McGorium's wonder Emporium again. Um, and he feels a little bit left behind. And I, I think that's his, his whole thing is that whether he's choosing this life of, of being the bachelor or he's, you know, purposely and intentionally, or he's choosing it because he's scared of running for something. It's never quite stated. And honestly, it's not important, but I feel like there is a lot, there's a lot to unpack. There was like, this is also a way to do it, you know? Totally. It's just so nice. It's like, Hey, there's nothing wrong with Sydney. He just doesn't want to be in a relationship. There's nothing wrong with Peter. He's just focused too much on his. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with Sydney's friends. They just have moved on and have kids and are doing stuff that he's not like your friends just make different decisions. Yeah. And so it's like, that's, what's so good about this is that I go like, man, this movie is not just for people like Peter Clavin who go like, Oh, I've always struggled making male friends. It's for everyone because nobody is going to go through life. Very few people are going to go through life with the same four friends from kindergarten. Yeah. Like life change, especially now with the internet and technology, dude, we move so far from where we start life out that it's like, you're going to have to learn how to say goodbye to people or for just to allow relationships to dramatically change and kind of exit as they need to. Yeah. And here's a fun way to learn about how to handle that. And sometimes it's, you know it's I mean? overnight. People have kids and they, and they just get caught up in that and they come back later sometimes. And then sometimes it's just the over time, like friendships just sort of like run their course and, and it's not good or bad. Like you were saying, and I, I think it really shows that in a beautiful way. Um, but w- one of the things that I, that I never really realized until I was taking notes while watching this movie for this podcast Every single character has a problem with boundaries and for the uninitiated boundaries are, the, are different than walls. Walls are what we put up to keep people out. Boundaries are what we keep, we put up to stay sane within ourselves. Um, and you put up boundaries with people you love. So if I put up a boundary where I'm like, there are certain topics that are, or, you know, topics of conversation I don't want to discuss with my parents. That's a boundary I put up because it's healthier for us to have this boundary, that kind of thing. And, with Zoe, like Peter needs to open up more. I feel like he's just going with the flow. I don't feel yeah. like he really truly is going to um, kind of poke the bear. He, we see him kind of build up with resentment over time. And I, I, re- I relate to that because he doesn't want to like rock the boat, which, which is understandable. And Zoe, we see has no boundaries. She tells her, her friends, everything that happens, especially sexual details that between her and Peter 
and then gets upset when, and which often happens and I, and she's not even villainized for it, but like people that get upset yeah. when we put up boundaries with, with them are often people that took advantage of us not having boundaries in the first place. And you kind of see that here where he starts to tell Sydney, Jason Siegel's character, more and more things about their relationship, and she gets super offended by it. And it's a really lovely point of contention where they have a conversation about it, and she hears him. That's what's so shocking. She's like, oh my God, you're right. You're doing the same thing that I was doing with my friends. But it was a, there was a double standard in place because... I guess I'm a woman and it's like allowed that we talk about all the boy stuff, but like, I don't want you talking about me because for whatever my reasons are. And I think that's really beautiful. Like it's such a lesson in that. And then with Sydney's character, he, he needs to have a little bit more boundaries because he just kind of bullets through. And here's the thing with friendship and you and I've learned this with each other. And we've said this to each other multiple times, but like you can ask me anything you want. Like there's no, there's nothing that's off topic, but I get to decide how I answer it. And if I want to answer it, so your friends, your parents, your coworkers, like they get to like bound into your space and, and, you know, they might overstep or say the wrong thing or whatever, but you, you get to decide if you answer that at all. And a lot of times we feel like, Oh, my boss asked me this. So I have to answer it. Right. I'm like, no, you don't. If it's an inappropriate question, you don't have to answer it. And that's such a good point. Yeah. And how often do we just do you hear like someone be like, oh, man, this person or it's like it's usually a parent figure, like a family member, like they're just always a man. It's like, well, you know, you're letting them go there. Like it's like it's almost this is such a horrible comparison. But I got on a YouTube click hole. I forget the guy's name, the dog whisperer, Caesar or something. What's his name? Where he like his whole thing is he's like, hey, there's no such thing as a bad pet or a bad dog. There are only bad owners. Every single one of these animals is a result of the boundaries or the lack of boundaries you've set up with your pet. And so like, yeah, your dog bites people when they come over because they think they own this house and you haven't let them know that they don't. And so it's like, yeah, your mom does that stuff. Hey, your dad says this stuff. Hey, your brother or sister texts you that garbage or whatever. Or they stir up all this drama because you keep inviting it back in your life. And I've had moments in my, in my, especially like in my immediate family where I've just gone, hey, just so you know, when you send me those types of text messages that make me feel this way, I don't want to feel that way anymore. So I'm going to stop responding to them. So when you send me that stuff, I'm going to not respond to you. If you keep doing it, I'm going to mute you. Uh, don't make me block you. Like you're my family, you're my immediate family. I don't want to do that. But it always only takes like one of those really calm moments where I communicate that. Sometimes they push back on it the same way like the dog pushes back on. I hate that comparison. I'm not saying my family or dogs, but you know what I mean. Like where you go, hey, once you establish that boundary a couple times, I go, oh, okay, all right. Well, if I want to keep interacting with this person, I'm not going to do it this way because they won't allow that. Dogs are a good example, like animals, pets. And then little kids, because they just don't really have, they're just reacting. Everything they do is reactive and, yeah, and they, yeah, yeah. they're, it's a very base level, you know, monkey brain kind of like, Oh, I get the, if I push this button, I get this treat. And it's the same way of like, Oh, if I ask my mom for, you know, a GI Joe and she says no, but I ask again and she she'll say, yeah. and I keep asking, she'll eventually say yes. All you're learning from that is Oh, if I push mom hard enough, um, I'll get what I want. And that's yeah. why it's so, it's so important for us to establish our boundaries, share them, communicate them with our people and be like, Hey, like, I love you. This kind of thing. I have issues here. You don't have to over explain. You just explain. I have issues here. So from now on, I'm not going to be coming to poker nights because I have a hard time being yeah. around alcohol um, and this and this and this. And then once you explain it, communicate it clearly with your friends and let them ask questions that they need to or family. If they cross that line, you get to decide what level, you know, uh, you get to be in their life and they get to be in yours. That is what in, 
empowerment in relationships is. Yeah. And it's so important. The more boundaries that you have up with your people, even your spouses, even your mom and your dad, just because they're in relationship with you does not give them carte blanche to do whatever they want, say whatever they want. It just doesn't. Yeah, that's so but good. We, we forget that because we're like, well, I owe my mom. She brought me into this world. Guess what, dude? You didn't ask to be in this world. So you yep. get to make the rules for yourself. And it's not mean. I, I feel like we... The biggest lesson that I've learned in the last few years, hands down, is that you can be direct and kind at the same time. And I feel like we've at, oh, we've good. added the brutal to honesty. You can take away the brutal and just be honest. You can be honest in love with your people. And that, that is one thing that really stuck out this viewing of this movie is that this is a movie about really three characters, you know, uh, the 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 main two male leads and and Rashida Jones's character learning how to have boundaries with each other because as much as Zoe's like go 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 find your best man go 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 she has like benefited from Paul Rudd being the most attentive boyfriend of all time you know and uh, it, it, it's yeah. and it's not healthy in the long run like he he does need to and when he meets Sydney he parts of him open up that wouldn't have opened up if he would just have been a girlfriend guy his whole life. No, that's really, really good, man. I, it, it's uh, Just to name a, a resource too while you're talking through all this, there's a book called Boundaries by Henry Cloud. I think it might be Cloud and like Charles Townsend. I don't remember if he writes that by himself or not. But like I read that and that's what blew my mind apart of this idea that like you cannot change people. You can only decide to what extent you will interact with them. And that's all a boundary is, is to like stop being so frustrated with people for how they are. That's how they are. If they want to change, they will. If they don't, they won't. But you have to make a decision on what, to what extent you want them in your life, assuming they never change because you can't change and you don't know if they're going to make that decision or not. So it's like, the whole like, well, like I'm, I'm going to fix him or I'm going to fix her or the whole, you know what I mean? Or the like, well, my mom just needs to stop doing it. It's like, no, look, that's up to her to stop doing that. You get to decide to what extent you're going to interact with that person um, and like invite them into your life or not, you know? But it's like, man, and that can be hard to communicate to people, but it's really hard to communicate. Once you learn how to communicate that well, it's really hard to have conflict after that just to go like hey look this is not like you said earlier you said that really well and i think you're one of the first people who said that to me that like look i don't set up boundaries to keep you out of my life the boundaries are because i want to keep you in it like barriers are what i set up to keep people out of my life and if the boundaries don't work that's what's next (laughs) like barriers aren't that healthy like it's not a good deal to put up a wall and be like well they did this so i'm cutting them off no as much as you go hey you did this just so you know when you do those things here's how i'm going to respond so if you don't want me to respond that way don't do those things Actions have consequences, and I, I am I am constantly in conflict with my own parents who just that is such a new concept to them, and a lot of their generation it just is because they they were taught they're like well it's my yeah. you're my kid I can do whatever I want I'm like well first off I'm in my forties I'm not anybody's kid and <laughs> we, I'm sorry but a, a parents just have to see their kids or their children as grownups when yeah. they grow up you just have to I'm sorry that's just a part of it I'm sorry I'm not your ten year old little boy anymore but this is just the way it goes and a boundary is meant to be movable a boundary is a gate that but you not everybody has the combination lock and you get to decide when you change it you get to decide who you give it to and it's so freeing to put up boundaries because like to your point you get to decide what you can control and what you can't and when you start looking at what you can and can't control you realize that the number of what things you can't control are innumerable 
And guess what? That's not for you anyway. So stop trying to control things you can't. All you can control is how you react to things and how you enter into things. And if somebody just keeps, if a friend just keeps inviting you out after you told them multiple times that you don't want to go to whatever shitty bar they constantly go to, then you get to be like, Hey, I please don't invite me. If you, if you uh, can't hear me right now, if you do, I'm just going to ignore you. And eventually I'm just going to mute or block you. And that is not your problem. That is their problem. If they can't hear that, it, it, yeah. it's it's so tricky. And this is what we talked about a million times, which is why I want this podcast to be is like, it's such a spectrum. It's so such a gray area, but there are answers, but you got to figure out what's, what's right for you and what works for you. Only you can figure out your own boundaries. Most people want to make that work too. You know what I mean? Like I, uh, this is a really simple example, but I think it's good to have some that aren't too dramatic. Like I, uh, we, oh, we had friends over this weekend that have kids and they had their, their toddler here with them and they gave him this can to play around with. So he was like throwing a LaCroix can around my living room. And I was like, Hey, let's not do that. Cause like those have gas and will explode. Like that's not when you throw those, they explode everywhere. And so I was like, Hey, let's not do that. We'll give him something else. I gave him like a Tupperware and a spoon and he just fake stirred the whole time. But I'm going like, Hey, this is one of those things where I go like, I am not going to enjoy our time together while he's throwing that can around. Cause I'm waiting for it to explode on my white carpet. And I'm going to deal with it later. Yep. You guys don't care what he throws around. You don't, you're like, I don't, I just want the kid to leave me alone and let me eat. So like I, by not speaking up, I am unhappy and I'll probably have a dirty carpet later by speaking up. I enjoyed my experience with them so much more. That's a silly example. Cause it doesn't sound like That's a, a great boundary. example. Like, it's my boundary that you can't throw sodas, but I go like, Hey, it's important to have somewhere you go like, Setting boundaries is going to make you enjoy the relationship more. It's going to help you enjoy the relationship more because you're not going to be zeroed in on that one thing that you wish they would stop doing that you haven't given them a chance to stop doing because you won't even tell them that you want them to stop doing it. Tell them, let them decide. Most people, I know we all have toxic relationships in our lives. Most people, though, are going to go, oh, okay, like I could give a crap what he throws around. I just wanted him to leave me alone to eat. Or, yeah, I didn't realize that that bothered you so much, man. I just didn't want you to feel left out. So we always invite you. I won't. Yeah. And now it's like, okay, great. I'm not always worried about this thing happening. You're not going like, man, why why have Nick or Dave been weird? I, like, I feel like something has been off and they won't tell me what's going. Just say it and give them the chance to It respond, takes 15 you know? seconds sometimes to be like, hey, would yeah. you guys mind? You don't even have to over-explain yourself like, or, or apologize or anything. Just say, hey, if you guys wouldn't mind, could, we, could I give them something else to play with? Because the end, you know, and like, <laughs> I'd rather I'd rather him not play with this can. Um, and, and then the and, and they're like, oh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. And then it's done. And then, yeah, like you said, you're freeing yourself up. Like we can free ourselves up by understanding exactly what our problems are with things or, or our issues are. And then clearly communicating that to the people that we love. It will save you so much time, so much stress, so much resentment because that, that, that is a, a, like not speaking up for yourself and all the times that you do, like it, it's a resentment that builds up. And then you start exploding on people that have nothing to do with that situation. And that's unfair. Who didn't set out to do anything to hurt no. you again, to use that same example. My friends weren't like, Hey, watch this. I'm going to give a can to my kid and piss Dave off for the next 30. They were genuinely, it's like, it is hard to eat food when you have a one-year-old. So it was like, dude, I just need him distracted. I, and I knew that I knew that they were, I was just like, Hey, can I give him something else? Cause I think it's going to explode. And they're like, Oh yeah, he likes a bowl and a spoon. Okay, great. Here's a Tupperware. Done. Fantastic. Half of the people in our lives, especially family members, when you go like, hey, just so you know, when you do that, it makes me want to put my fist through your face because I'm thinking they'll go like, oh, Mm -hmm. crap. I had no idea. I've never even thought of that. I'm doing that because X, Y, Z. And you're like, oh, yeah, of course, I should have assumed positive intent. You didn't do that thing just to piss me off. 
and like game over, you know, but it's so true. And there's so much beauty and freedom and all these things we're talking about, but it does. It's hard, especially I think for socially conditioned men in this society, because we weren't really taught to communicate or even understand our emotions. So we just leave the room or we just punch a wall or, you know, like it gets darker than that. We, we harm, uh, you know, our, our spouses or kids or whatever. Like it's just years and years and years of just pin up shit. If we could just, like clearly Say communicate it. like, Hey, I have a problem with this and I I'm, I'm figuring out what it is, but would you mind for the moment? Even unclear. Whatever it is. Yeah, stumble through it. Like do what you have yeah. to do, but just start talking. I heard a therapist say once um, when I was like, I don't know the right way to say this. I heard them say, say it wrong. Was, and oh, that was good. huge for me. If somebody loves you, they will understand what you're trying to say. Like say it wrong and then backpedal, like figure out what it is. Say it wrong is the title of my favorite emo song from the early aughts. Oh, it was incredible. Um, Was that early November? Um, (laughs) But uh, (laughs) but but this movie is is uh, we could go on and on and on about it. Um, It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Was there any aspect of this movie that that we hadn't haven't discussed yet that that you wanted to mention? I mean, not in a serious way, but in a. I mean, I love where we took this. I I would just love to say I think the soundtrack is underrated. The soundtrack. You could wear my underwear, vindaloo for us to share, presents underneath your tree. What a weird song. <laughs> what a weird song. And the chorus and- is water slide. Water <laughs> so slide. That's those lyrics, just so you know. And I love that it's like a lot of times <laughs> the song in the movie is just like, oh, it's in the background. It just kind of gives a vibe. Not water slide by the bone daddies in I Love You Man. That song is they're like, oh, hey, there's a break here. Turn the volume all the way up so everyone can hear the lyrics. You can wear my underwear. Vindaloo for us to share. Always presents under your tree. What? Okay. Here's the thing. <laughs> all right, that, bet. <laughs> that song, as the kids say, slaps. That song it really does. If I want to have a good day, if it's like today, it was like 70 degrees and sunny. I will put that song on, roll down my windows and just like drive yep. around having the best time. Th- th- this whole soundtrack, it has a spoon song on it that I love. The underdog. <sighs> Um, good. It's fantastic. Two Vampire Weekend songs, the Black Keys, Beck, and then the band of all bands in this movie is Rush, a band that I'm I'm not going to lie. I didn't know who Rush was until I saw this movie. <laughs> yeah, I knew who they were. I couldn't have sung you any of their songs. I knew Come Sail Away is that. No, that sticks. <laughs> Never mind. So yeah, I didn't know any of their songs. So clearly you didn't know it. Yeah. <laughs> the moment, which is so beautiful for multiple reasons. One of my favorite scenes in a movie filled with favorite scenes is when Peter Clavin shows Zoe Rush because she's never heard it. And he's like, are you excited? Are you ready to rock? Ready. And then... And then he plays it on his like MacBook speakers. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas it's like a ThinkPad. Yeah, yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> but he also says like, you don't know Rush, you don't know uh, today's Tom Sawyer. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it, it kills me because that is how he sings it. Yeah, a hundred percent. And then Rush being, and then and then at the end, I don't even know what the story is with this. I looked it up online. There's no story. The band at the very end, who's playing at the wedding. Um, who's playing rush at the end is yeah. okay. Go. I did not know that. That's Why so is great. okay. Go in this movie. Are they friends with the director? It's Why just, aren't they in every other movie is a better question. It's very true. I love. Okay. Go. Um, but it, it was so, it's just so incredibly random. 
You know, if there's one other random thing to highlight from this, if anybody is, is listening to this episode, this is going to be probably, what, episode th- four or five, something like that. I don't know. Sure. Um, if you've listened to all the other episodes, then you you should know why I appreciate this so much. But Peter Clavin is horrible at impressions and does them <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I was like, man, this, that guy, one is this guy gets me. Yeah. That me one for is like beautiful. my Judd Apatow is just as just me with the flu. You know what I mean? I <laughs> like know. I, yeah, it's funny. I know. It's, so, it's getting worse and worse. <clears throat> it yeah. is getting worse. I love that every time <laughs> Peter Clavin tries to do, do an impression, it sounds like a leprechaun. Um, <laughs> and it really does. It's it's fan. And they and they lay it in like it's at that first dinner scene with Tom Tom Lennon where he's just like, "Well, it's not special." Like they're like, "It's mm, not, not quite there." Um, <laughs> That's the thing that is, I think, one of the hardest things to do that Paul Rudd does so well. Kyle Mooney from SNL does it really well. Um, is acting awkward on purpose. Uh, yeah, it's incredibly. It doesn't feel like he's acting awkward on purpose. And also knowing that him and Jason Segel are like have spent so much time together, and him just being like, "All right, to Jobin," like just the weird handshakes <laughs> and stuff. Like, well, that sounds about as appetizing as a big plate of dirt or something i don't know <laughs> well anything to add as we close up shop here today i don't think so go follow us on everything and tell us uh what you think if we're right if we're wrong at betterman film club on instagram betterman pod on twitter because twitter does not allow enough characters in their usernames uh jack dorsey actually our eighth subscriber hear me out my guy <laughs> we are racking <laughs> up that. subscribers in well we've only time. got eight but they're they're big wigs for sure yeah, they are they're um, they have a lot of reach they're not going to tweet about it but they have a lot of reach if they wanted to <laughs> no that's really <laughs> it for me i mean i really would love to be able to I, I, to connect with people especially i mean you're in nashville right now i'm in dallas like i know i hopefully people are listening to this all over and i'd love for people to be able to feel like they can chime in not only in the actual film club uh for guys that we do but also like just on social kind of like what do you want to hear us talk about what movies what did you agree with what did you disagree with i talked to a friend today who said uh that they were listening along and at one point they were like ah but that's not the point of that movie like you're missing the point like they were like we're, i was just having a conversation with yeah. you like i was in the room and i'm like well get on social and do it like yeah tell us that's where yeah and once we no, start that. now that it's out there like i want i want to encourage people more and more like write in betterman film club at gmail.com like uh, at socials, what in whatever way you feel most comfortable in in writing and telling us like things, even if it's from like months previous, um, and we will read it on the show. And like, here's the thing: like, I think we could have a recurring segment where we fact check ourselves because listening back, I'm like, oh, that wasn't the right year that came out, or that wasn't what 100%. that movie was about, or whatever. And I'm I'm all about being fact checked. I'm all all about let's get as pedantic as you want, you know, like we are, we will make fun of you, but um, be as pedantic as you want. Um, but no, I, we love hearing from people. Um, whatever. We just stoked that people are listening to this in the first place. So uh, we want this to be a conversation. That's, that's honestly like the whole film club idea, the actual film club that the podcast is an offshoot of is to have those conversations and yeah. not just, not just like the ones that, that touch on the thematic stuff or like the actual movie making, but you know, like the, the, the talk that we had today about boundaries and relationships and parents and stuff like that. Like I, I love what I love the catalyst of movies and where, where the conversation goes. That's, that's 100%. my favorite thing. Absolutely. All right, Dave, are you going to take us out with a movie quote? I am. Hey, let me throw this out there real quick. Follow Nick Flora on social media. He's at Nick Flora on all the platforms. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. I'm at Dave wears black on all the platforms. Um, all the ones that matter, at least if you can't find me on that under that name, then, what are you on Stop Zanga? Looking. 
uh, slash at Dave Wears Black. Yeah. Oh, Myspace.com nice. slash Dave Wears Black. I'm just kidding. What's your live journal? <laughs> yeah. So we're going to end the episode with a movie quote. Um, the last one we did, by the way, was uh, you guys, the bathroom in here is nuts, which is from uh, 2007's Hot Rod. A stone cold comedy classic in my house. Um, yeah, in every spoken house. spoken by Bill Hader. Whether you like it or not, that is a comedy classic in your house. Yeah, it's, it, it is. Yeah, right? you don't have a choice. <laughs> Boundaries be damned. That movie is a classic <laughs> in your house. All right, set us up, Dave. What do you got? Oh, I'm not here with these fellas. I got a pig in competition down at the livestock pavilion, and I am going to win that blue ribbon. <laughs> <laughs>